0: What is up? We are back. Tony in the field. Tony in the field. Oh my God, I love those guys. So excited to be on Tony in the field. Love this show. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm fired. Uh, Preston, what's on the menu, brother? The gloves are coming off. James catches, puts up a three. Won't go. Rebound. Box. Back out to Allen. History point. Man. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Six. For the win, Texas is back, folks. Indiana's nine out of ten. Oh! Oh! Gerald Green! That's a man's jam! Hey, what is up, everybody? This is Tony in the field coming to you Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. I'm the field, Preston Highfield. Big Tony is not going to be joining me this week as he is consumed with looking for and actually signing paperwork for a place to move into down in San Diego, California, as he gets set to move from the Bay to SoCal for his job. So he is uh, too busy this week working on some closing paperwork. I think we all know. How that goes and how tricky that can be and time-consuming, etc. So certainly can't blame uh, Big Tony for that. But hey, the Lakers just won the title last week and the MJ-LeBron debate is heating up and Justin Herbert's on fire. So I wasn't just going to let this week go by without a podcast. I'm going to do this podcast solo, give you guys my thoughts on the Lakers winning the title, the regular season awards in the NBA, LeBron's I-want-my-damn-respect-to quote, Talk a little MJ versus LeBron. And then I have some thoughts on Herbert, and I have some thoughts on Phillip Rivers at the end of this podcast as well. Let us start with the Lakers winning the title. It felt like on Friday night I ordered a bunch of wings and and tots and some Casamigos Clooney tequila, and I was getting ready to have a hell of a night and celebrate. That that four-day stretch in sports was unbelievable. Between the French Open semifinals... Lakers heat game five, obviously a great college football Saturday, a great Sunday. And then Herbert uh, playing Monday night football starting as a kid from from Eugene, Oregon, starting at quarterback on Monday night football. I mean, I just think that's so cool, man. I, I didn't grow up in a in a giant city or a giant state that produces football talent like you see with Justin Herbert. And man, I just thought it was so awesome that he got the chance to start at quarterback on Monday night football. And not only did he get the chance to start, he set multiple Monday Night Football records for rookie quarterbacks, including most ever passes, passing touchdowns thrown on Monday Night Football for a rookie. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. I'll get to Herbert in just a bit. It was a great stretch of sports. Obviously, the Lakers don't win the title Friday night in Game Five. We all know about the Miss Danny Green shot. Uh, you folks criticizing him beyond just missing the shot, um, you know, you know who you are, and and that ain't cool, man. That just ain't cool. Um, it was the, everyone was comparing it, you know, the MJ to Kerr moment. People wanted LeBron to shoot out of the triple team, which, which, which could not be a dumber take. Uh, you know, people were passing around the Kobe Bryant shooting over four different Chicago bulls. For those of you who haven't seen how that play ended, uh, he got blocked by two different bulls and the shot went out of bounds off the block. Buzzer sounded bulls win 88, 87. So that's how that play went for everyone tweeting out that screenshot. um, would have been awesome if Danny Green would have made the shot. He's obviously struggled um, shooting in the 20s in terms of percentage from three. But it was two for four going into that shot from three that night. Unbelievable pass by LeBron. Probably could have been a little higher. Um, you know, chest high or, or whatever instead of knee high or wherever it landed. But still an unbelievable pass. LeBron with, with I don't know if it's an all-time, all-time game, but <laughs> certainly one of the best playoff games I've ever seen. 40 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists if I have those numbers right off the top of my head, 71% field goal. And by the way, it was more like 75% field goal. It's just he chucked up that three from half court at the end. That was basically a perfect finals game, and he still lost, which is has been the story of his career at times, which has been incredibly annoying for those of us who support his greatness, is that, man, he is unbelievable. And, man, he has played perfect finals games and lost many of them. And it's been so frustrating. Um, but I thought he played a flawless game. Kicked it out to Danny Green. Danny Green barely hits the rim. Markeith Morris throws the ball out of bounds to no one. Looked like he was maybe trying to get AD on some low block positioning. Just throws the ball way out of bounds. LeBron was wide open. It's a story of LeBron's career, really. Um, and Lakers fans are, are are learning that. And learning what Cavs fans and Heat fans have, have known for so long. Um, but regardless lakers bounce back win game six pretty dang easily they were up 20 early they were up 30 at one point in the game i think they closed it out and won by 15 or 13 but you know we all know the game wasn't even that close it was a 30 point game at one point lebron finishes with 28 14 and 10 so he averages 30 12 and eight and a half on 59 percent shooting for the series and that was my big takeaway. First of all, shout out to Eric Spolstra. We all know University of Portland grad. His dad worked in the Portland front office back in the day. You saw the pictures of him across Twitter and maybe even on the ESPN broadcast of him grinding in his early days as a video assistant for the Heat in his 20s, putting in the work. Shout out to Spo. Great coach. By all accounts, seems like a great man. Jimmy Butler, amazing series until Game Six. Um, when I thought, quite frankly, he just looked exhausted after going for 35-15-15 and 15, or, or something along those lines in Game 5. My biggest takeaway from this series was LeBron was by far the best player on the court at age 35. By far. AD had a great first two games, then completely soiled the, sh- soiled the sheets in Game 3. Quite frankly, actually, if, if AD doesn't soil the sheets in Game 3... They probably sweep. At the very least, they win in five. And if Danny Green just makes that shot, or quite frankly, any of the role players don't soil the sheets in game five, they win that game and and, and, and win, win in five. Um, but whatever. Could have been a sweep. Probably should have been five. But they win in six. And LeBron was by far the best player on the court. AD averaged, I think, 26-9-something and four. Twenty Maybe 26-10 and four. I think 26-10 and four. And he was awesome, man. He was so good. And and the thing you have to love about AD is how great he is on defense and how he's just entering his prime at 27. I mean, your professional prime in the NBA is is you know age 27 through 32, 33, probably. Forget LeBron. He's he's unlike anyone we've seen in the history of the game. Obviously, don't don't look at his (laughs) at him dominating at age 35 because that ain't happening for the rest of the league. But your prime, you know, 27 through 33. A.D. might very well end up carrying the Lakers to a title one day. It was obviously LeBron carrying them to a title this year. But A.D. might carry them and carry LeBron. I don't want to say carry LeBron, but but help carry the Lakers to a title one day. Um, he was certainly a, uh, a massive addition and a great component on this year's championship team. And I'm thinking in the future, with how much confidence he has now, entering his prime and NBA champion on a on a Lakers team and a Lakers franchise that is stacked with LeBron and great ownership, a really solid GM and Polinka, and just in general, really good structure at the moment. They're well on their way to, I'm not going to call for a repeat or a three-peat. I'm not going to guarantee anything like that. That's not my broadcast style to come out and make the hot takes like that. But man, if you're telling me LeBron is going to win at least one more ring, I'd be shocked if he, if, if he didn't, I I think he'll win at least one more and maybe more now that there's no longer a a super team of three star players on one team, the way there were with the 2017 warriors. Um, the West is wide open again next year. Obviously the Lakers are the favorites. We'll see if the Clippers come back as constructed. They've already lost their head coach We'll see if they if they decide to make any adjustments. My lord, they could use Shea Gilgis Alexander right now and Gallinari. They'd take that that trade back in a heartbeat with OKC. Um, the only reason they wouldn't is if Kawhi said he wouldn't come to the Clippers without Paul George. Which, if he actually did say that, in hindsight, that's a that's a tough look. That's a tough look. But you you pull the trigger there if you're the Clippers. Um, remember when you guys said LeBron was just coasting through the East? Uh huh. Four one, four one, four one, in the West. Lillard and the Blazers gone in five. Rockets, tricky opponent, gone in five. The Nuggets, most resilient team in the playoffs, perhaps. Them, the Lakers and the Heat. Maybe I'll share that banner. Gone in five. And then the Heat, like I said, could have been a sweep, could have been in five. But hey, you know what, credit the Heat. I mean, I mean, I'm seriously not trying to take anything away from the Heat. Credit the Heat. Duncan Robinson and Jimmy played amazing all series. Bam played pretty well, too, when he returned. Lakers in six. And let's be honest, that never you never really felt like, man, the Heat are going to win this series. You, you, you never felt like that. A couple of things... To extend off of in this conversation. Number one, don't let the regular season blind you. AD did not win Defensive Player of the Year. LeBron did not win MVP. And Rob Palenka finished 7th in Executive of the Year voting. The regular season means absolutely nothing. The MVP award, as it pertains to the best player in the world, means absolutely nothing. Time and time and time again, it means absolutely nothing. LeBron gives that quote, I want my damn respect to after a 30-12-8.5 and 8.5 on 59% field goal, including that historic Game 5. I um, thought it was a great quote. Um, I don't need to play it for you. You guys all know the quote, the quote I'm talking about. And let's be honest. That prob- that quote, if you read through the tea leaves, probably means a couple different things. Number one, you guys really voted for Giannis again? You guys, you guys, you guys really voted for Giannis again, the same guy who was bounced in, in five games in the second round of the playoffs in the East? You guys voted for that guy? Okay. And what it also was probably alluding to was this, the LeBron versus MJ debate. Um, I, quite frankly, despise that content. I'm not a big fan of it. Um I think it's it's a cheap and easy conversation to have like in like a two, a random Tuesday in the summer, "Hey, let's talk MJ versus LeBron." But right when LeBron wins another ring to give him four titles, I think the conversation's relevant. Okay? I mean, folks were ready to put Kawhi in some kind of top 10 all-time category if he'd if he'd won this year. Um you know, let's pump the brakes on that. I love Kawhi. I think he's the, I have him as my third best player in the world, but let's pump the brakes on that. Back to the LeBron versus MJ debate, which as you and you, you guys know, big Tony and I, um, we, we do a great job in our opinion of, of kind of holding the media accountable and, and not indulging in easy, cheap conversations. So I I don't think MJ versus LeBron right now is an easy, cheap conversation. I think it's a necessary one because we've all talked about this guy in the same vein as what many folks believe to be the greatest player ever in MJ, or is LeBron the new goat? Zach Lowe wrote a great piece on, on kind of comparing the two. I'll get to his piece in a second. MJ versus LeBron is the great elephant in the room right now, so let's just chat about it. Let's chat about it, okay? Um, we can all agree that LeBron's competition is significantly tougher than Jordan's, right? The KD Warriors, the Spurs dynasty. Um, you know, that's a little bit better than Stockton Malone. (laughs) Okay. It's a little bit better than bless, bless their heart. The Clyde Drexler Portland trailblazers. Okay. Um, so that's step one. If we can all agree that LeBron's competition is significantly tougher than Jordan's, um, and they almost have the same amount of rings, and LeBron has way more wins, way more points, rebounds, assists, buzzer beaters, better, better everything. Where's the argument for MJ? If, they're, uh, if LeBron has significantly better stats, and they have almost as many the same amount of rings, and LeBron has... Uh, four more finals appearances against all of that against significantly tougher competition where, where is the argument for mj and and here's something that nick nick Wright brought up this week it was a really good point um yeah he's a little obnoxious but it was a really good point did jimmy butler hurt his legacy for making the finals and playing amazing in the finals because his team lost so everyone that says Jordan has six rings and went six and zero in the finals, and they, they obviously conveniently leave out uh, MJ's first second round exits. Um, that's the exact point you guys are making. Jimmy Butler is now worse for going zero and one in the finals. That's the exact point you guys are making because you you say LeBron is four and six in the finals. So Jimmy's zero and one. So he must have really hurt his legacy, right? You see how idiotic that sounds when you apply it to, like, literally anyone else? Um, should Jimmy have just lost, in, you know, in five games to an underdog team in the second round, like Giannis? Like, does Giannis have a better legacy than Jimmy now? Yeah, I mean, you, you guys see, you, you see how idiotic that sounds, right? That's step one. I'd like to bring up another point, too, which I've never heard anyone brought up in this GOAT debate. Which is this. MJ was the first major athlete to be endorsed by Nike with his own shoe and commercials throughout North America and throughout the world. We all know Steve Prefontaine was the first ever Nike athlete back in the Olympics in the uh, 72 in Berlin, if I have that right. Um, Shout out to Steve Prefontaine, by the way. Just recently drove through Coos Bay, Oregon after a a golf trip to Bandon. And uh, they have a giant Couple murals of him running in his Oregon tracksuit, and then him as a high schooler at Marshfield. And it's cool, man. It's a really, uh, really, really touching mural. I mean, they take a lot of pride in him down there in the Marshfield High area in Coos Bay. Steve Prefontaine is obviously a, a, a huge legend. Um, but we're talking about, you know, sports marketing here. Nike is the best sports marketing company in the world. And no one at the time in MJ's era had their own shoe deal and, and own commercials to the to the extent that MJ had. Now, I mean Paul George, literally Paul George has his own signature shoe. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Paul George has his own signature shoe. People vastly underestimate the power of Nike's marketing for MJ's career. Um they were the first one to put him on a pedestal. He was hyped up by Nike and and he wasn't criticized constantly on social media or Twitter with camera phones. He had the perfect storm of being an amazing all-time player, hyped up by the world-class sports marketing machine that is Nike, without the criticism of social media. Think about the, that combination. Like think about if LeBron had, if LeBron was the first and only to be hyped by Nike and had no one criticizing him on social media or daily talk shows. Just think about that for a second, how different you would think about him. You wouldn't think very often to criticize him. You wouldn't read constant criticisms, which, by the way, criticisms over LeBron are, are all largely hysterical and nonsensical. But think about that. And by the way, during this MJ-LeBron debate, I, I don't like to tear down MJ because I recognize his all-time greatness I'm obviously a massive Nike fan and a Nike basketball fan of someone who grew up in Portland. Like, I can't tell you enough how much I love that company and admire and respect Phil Knight. I mean, Phil Knight, is, Shoe Dog is like my Bible. That thing's next to my bed. I read five pages out of that randomly sometimes throughout the week. I've already read the book two or three times. There, there's no one I respect more than Phil Knight and and the Nike machine. And I love MJ. So I want to make that very clear. I don't want to seem like I'm up here criticizing MJ for LeBron's game. It's just that LeBron's um, stats are, are are so obvious. There's not there's hardly any point of of um, of pointing them out. Although I will bring them up here just to uh, just to kind of reemphasize where we're at. LeBron's last couple of finals. Uh, I won't bore you with. Let's go starting in 2015. 35.8 points. Essentially 36 points. 13 rebounds, 9 assists per game on about 40% shooting. 2016, 29.7 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists per game on 49% shooting. 2017, by the way, these are very talented Warriors teams throwing like Draymond and, and Clay and, and uh, KD at them. 33.6 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists per game on 56% shooting. folks, hysterically, that is the series that people point to and say they thought, um, they thought KD played better than LeBron. 36 points, pardon me, 34 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists on 56% shooting. The next series, 34 points, 8.5 rebounds, 10 assists per game. Some people point to that series, trying to say that KD, who I think averaged 33 points and eight assists or eight rebounds, um... In 2018, LeBron 34, 10, and 8.5 on 52% shooting. Basically 53% shooting. And then this year, around 30 points, 12 rebounds, and and 8.5 assists per game on 59% shooting. Historic numbers. Further, and this was a good point by Fox this week, MJ's last three finals wins, 31 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists on 43% shooting. LeBron's last three finals losses, 34 points, 11.6 rebounds, 9.5 assists on 47.5% shooting. Significantly better in every category than MJ. Okay. I'll stop at the stats. One final thing. Um, Someone tweeted this out the other day. It It was good content. They tweeted out every single Fox Sports host and analyst's pick for the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, and Champion Prediction. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven folks. Zero picked the Lakers to win the title before the playoffs. Only one, RJ Bell, picked the Lakers to even make the finals. No, no, no you got that right. To even make the finals. Two of them. Didn't even pick the Lakers to make the conference finals. And you folks were telling me this was an easy path for the Lakers and they should have won the whole time. Now that we've shot that down, well, let's continue to move on just a bit. And I'll try to wrap this this MJ uh, LeBron debate up shortly. Zach Lowe, fantastic, unbelievable writer for uh, ESPN, formerly with Bill Simmons. Wrote a piece about how you knew it was inevitable, to use his words, that MJ would win. He said something to the effect of, you could feel the inevitability with his presence. Um, You know why you could feel that inevitability? Because MJ was being guarded by Craig Elo and John Stockton. And not Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo, and a host of a Spurs dynasty. Checked by Kawhi Leonard. I, <laughs> that is why you could feel it was inevitable that MJ was going to score and win. Because he was going up against a bunch of six-foot-two white guys. Okay, Can you imagine if Craig Elo had checked LeBron in a finals game? Or John Stockton... And by the way, respect to John Stockton. I love John Stockton. If John Stockton had checked LeBron in a finals game, or KD for that matter, had John Stockton checked KD, or or even Harden, Steph, Dane, I mean Christ Almighty, but particularly LeBron, that would have been a 50-piece in the first half. Two more quick nuggets on this. I thought it was really cool that LeBron delivered another sensational story. Um, He delivered a title to the Lakers in the year that Kobe tragically passed away. I feel like that would be highlighted a lot more if they had won that at a full Staples Center instead of, um, you know, the Orlando bubble. If they'd celebrated down Broadway in L.A. with the song F Up Some Commas by Future Playing and Ty Lue although he's on the Clippers. Uh, J-Kid dancing shirtless in a convertible with a stogie in his mouth, much like Ty Lue was doing, although I don't think he was shirtless, but much like Ty Lue did back in the Cavs 2016 parade, wrapping <clears throat> F up some commas. I think it would have been really cool, um, and it's still amazingly cool that LeBron was help, helped deliver that title to LA uh, in a year when Kobe passed and bringing the Lakers back from the dead, quite honestly. Um, as this was the first year they'd made the playoffs in, what was it, you know, five or six years, and first year they'd won the title in about a decade. That storyline is going to go largely undervalued because of the pandemic and no one can come out to celebrate it and the, and the games weren't played at Staples. And then the final point here um, is not a LeBron versus, versus MJ debate. I think I've um, made my fair share of quality points on that one. I think LeBron's going to be even more motivated next year to repeat. I think there's something to defending an NBA title and repeating when you come back with, with largely the same team. I'm sure they'll, they'll make some adjustments. There are four guys who are free agents who can leave. I think Rondo and Markeith Morris are a couple of them. Danny Green and AD will be back. Uh, they'll bring a couple other guys back. We'll see what happens with their bigs, quite frankly. I liked KCP. thought he was definitely the third best player on the team in the playoffs, both offensively and defensively. If they just bring back LeBron AD and KCP, I think the other pieces are more or less interchangeable. I love what Caruso does defensively, and he adds that. He he adds those, those game-winning type plays to the team. And he actually shot it decently in the playoffs, despite the fact that he's not a great long-range shooter. Would love to see Caruso back and Avery Bradley back. And quite frankly, the rest of those players, I mean, they're all pretty interchangeable. You saw what happened when Vogel didn't even play Dwight in game six. It was domination from the jump. Uh, I don't think they need to play Dwight, to be completely honest. I think Dwight and JaVale help a ton with regular season depth. And for that reason, I'd like to see them back. They really help with, with just battling what would happen with injuries if AD were to play 38 minutes a night in the regular season. So it's nice to get him a blow. At the 5 spot for sure. But their best lineup by far is when AD's at the 5. <clears throat> I'm pumped to see them play next year. I really wish they could have gone through Boston and gone through the Clippers, who they handled uh, the last two games of 2020. The Bucks, who they handled before the bubble started. I would have loved to see them go through the Warriors as well. How about this? If next year they go through... Kawhi and the Clippers, which I think they'd have no problem doing, maybe winning five or six. They go through Steph and the Warriors. We'll see what that Warriors team looks like. I think they're pretty unpredictable. I think they could be really good or they could be a seven seed. And then they go through, like, KD in the finals. Wouldn't wouldn't that be awesome if you're a LeBron or a Lakers fan? And my final closing point on the LeBron-MJ stuff Folks, if you're under 30 or probably even realistically under 35, you never really saw MJ play in his prime. You may have seen a couple grainy reruns on NBA TV or a documentary or two here and there, but you never actually saw MJ play. Like, think about it. When you were, say, you were born in 93, like me, I'm 27. You were negative two years old when he won his first title, negative one second and just born when he won his third in 93 I actually wasn't even born yet I was born later in the summer of 93 <laughs> and then you were what 2 3 and 4 when he won his fourth fifth and sixth titles you you really locked in when when he was winning those titles or you just locked into that TV screen with with a high level analysis the kid is special man the kid you know is absolutely special I saw him um for the first anytime time. Anytime I hear someone argue Sheldon High School a younger and person. person. That is a high For that reason, a it's, ton it's of a great basketball. athletes over the years. Um, Alex Brink, and then Washington State quarterback time time who I believe again. played in the league for a bit. Okay, let's move on to Justin Fort Herbert State and Montana State were the only schools to show significant interest in him. He said I actually interviewed him right right um well a couple times before He entered Oregon and then at U of O when he was a freshman and Portland state and Montana state were his only visits. Now he's setting Monday night football records. The first ever rookie QB with four passing touchdowns on Monday night football. He's just such an awesome story, man. There doesn't need to be a a hot take here. There never needs to be a hot take on a, on a radio topic, but he is just such an awesome story as a kid who, by the way, for folks who don't know this, his fourth game into his junior year, he broke his leg. His leg, like, snapped. He cut his uh, his fibula. It, 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 it snapped. I saw it happen. I was broadcasting the game for the U of O student radio station, KWVA. I was one of the sports directors there, and we called Sheldon Games, and I was the voice of Sheldon his junior and senior year. By the way, not long after that, during basketball season, he suffered a brutal concussion. It was so brutal that he had a seizure on the court. And the kid has just continued to battle, goes to Oregon, takes a chance on his dream school, sits behind some guys, gets plugged in for Dakota Prukop Pru- his junior year. That forced Terry Wilson to transfer. By the way, Terry Wilson still playing and a very good quarterback at Kentucky right now. The Wildcats just beat Leach's Mississippi State Bulldogs 24-2 to the other day. So Herbert goes to Oregon, takes a chance on himself, bets on himself, gets plugged in. Rough freshman season, rough season for the program. Obviously, that was Helford just last year. They go four and eight. Not help not Herbert's fault at all. They turn around next year, seven and six, because Herbert got hurt halfway through the year, broke his collarbone. What I'm getting at is the man's just bent through a lot, keeps betting on himself. Everyone said Oh, Justin Herbert, a first-round pick? Are you serious? He didn't even throw a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. Like, yeah, Oregon went 12-2. and two. They were the best team in the conference. They blew out Utah, and they won the Rose Bowl, but I don't know if I see it from Justin Herbert. These were real takes from real folks. And to be fair to these scouts, Justin Herbert hadn't shown massive NFL potential in college primarily because... He was a victim to having a couple different O coordinators in college. David Yost, then Marcus Arroyo. And he was also a victim. I don't know why everyone says Herbert had four different offensive coordinators in college. Because that's just, uh, just flat out not true. I believe he had two. David Yost, his freshman year, and then Marcus Arroyo right after that. Um. <laughs> Anyways... He had a couple different O coordinators, two of them. Arroyo in particular was obviously slandered quite a bit by the U of O fan base. It was a very conservative approach. Not sure how much of that is on Cristobal. We'll find out this year with Joe Moorhead as the new OC at Oregon. Not sure if Chris Ball just wanted to run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, throw screen passes, and then take an occasional shot downfield because that was essentially Oregon's offense. And then they finally opened it up, let Herbert be more of a dual threat, pass on the run, and what do you know? They blew out Utah in the Pac 12 title game, and they beat Wisconsin to win another Rose Bowl. Third Rose Bowl in less than a decade for the Oregon program. Very proud program. The thing about Herbert's NFL success so far is it doesn't really look, like, fluky or gimmicky, right? Like, he's making money passes on the run. He's also standing in the pocket and just delivering bombs. He's throwing strikes to Keenan Allen on on little out routes for 15 yards, 10 yards. Same thing to Hunter Henry. Throwing beautiful jump balls to a finally healthy Mike Williams. That's the thing about that's impressed me the most about Herbert is and by the way, I actually think Pep Hamilton, the the QB coach, longtime QB coach and OC at Stanford with Andrew Luck and Jim Harbaugh, moved on to the Colts with Luck. I think he's awesome. I think Shane Steichen's a pretty dang good O. C. <clears throat> Justin Herbert just looks special. I'm not gonna criticize Anthony Lynn for saying he wanted to give Tyrod a chance to win the game back. I know that's or win the starting job back. I know that's a really popular and quite frankly, easy take to have. But Tyrod got his lungs punctured by a team doctor on accident. And that's why he lost the starting job. Herbert's obviously a better quarterback. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to that conclusion. But I don't necessarily over-criticize Anthony Lynn for that original take that he had. Here's what impresses me the most about Herbert. Not his rookie records. Not his amazing efficiency not just how comfortable he looks, not just how he can throw 64-yard bombs to Mike Williams on Monday Night Football like it's nothing, or go toe-to-toe with Mahomes in his first start, later Brady, later Breeze. And they also lost to, by the way, a Panthers team that actually looks a lot better than people thought they were going to be. Matt Rule's a really, really, really good defensive coach. If you watch the Panthers play, um, they're actually not bad. I think they're 3-2 and two right now. This is what I was going to do. I was going to pull up the list of injuries that the Chargers are dealing with right now. Um, As I'm pulling it up right now, I'll just go off the top of my head. Austin Eckler, the starting running back and one of the more versatile running backs in the National Football League, he is out for five to six weeks with a hamstring issue and just a leg issue in general. Mike Williams has been out basically the whole season. Finally came back on Monday Night Football and had over 100 receiving yards and two touchdowns. And even then, by the way, he was on a snap count. He was on a snap count um, due to hamstring tightness, I believe is what they were saying. Here's the list. Melvin Ingram, one of the better pass rushers in the league. He's been on IR for a while. Derwin James, ACL, you saw it on hard knocks, out for the season. Drew Tranquil. Broken leg, done for the season. Uchenna Nuoso, one of their edge guys, been out. Casey Hayward keeps getting banged up and having to leave games. Chris Harris is on IR. He's missed the last couple of games with a foot issue. <clears throat> their three best offensive linemen, Pouncey, out for the year. Bulaga and Trey Turner have both been shaken up with various ailments, out for many games. And by the way, Keenan Allen made a spectacular touchdown grab in the first quarter on Monday Night Football, and not long after that, he left for the game. I think he played like 15 snaps the whole game. He had back spasms. You probably saw him on the sideline. And by the way, Joey Bosa, I watched his presser today, he's talking about how he's incredibly beat up. He was basically just coming in for third downs in that last game. The Chargers were using like their number 5 defensive end, Emeka Ebule, basically for the entire game, and Brandon Fikeson, who's like called up from the practice squad recently, was their, their 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 first string corner for like that whole game on Monday night football. So I know the easy out for the Chargers and why they're losing at 1 and 4 is injuries, but seriously, they are like 7 of their best players, probably more. You could probably say 10 of their best players, like literally their 10 best players besides Herbert keep getting hurt. Um, It's unbelievable what they've dealt with injury wise this year. And that's why they haven't been able to close out games. Herbert gives them a chance in every single game and their defense just can't hold. And then last game with, with Badgley was obviously brutal. Um, he just, you know, you just can't miss PATs. You just can't. And then on top of that, I mean, I know it was a 50-yard field goal for the win, but in a dome without fans, basically no noise, just, like, kicking off turf. I mean, that has to be, like, as easy of a 50-yard field goal kick as you could ever have, right? Like, indoors without fans. It's like practice. They showed him drilling those in warm-ups, and, of course, he hits the the, uh, upright and misses it. But... Overall, what a start for Herbert. By the way, I, I heard some some folks on a local radio station. I'm going to keep it as, as um, generic as that. I heard some folks on a local radio station giving their take on Herbert, and essentially their take was, let's wait and see. What? Like, that's that's your take after watching Justin Herbert. It isn't, damn, he looks unbelievable. Damn, the Chargers really have something. Man, he surpassed all my expectations. And quite frankly, everyone's expectations. No, no, no. Your take is let's wait and see. There's no way in hell that can be your take. Let's wait and see on Herbert. That's a terrible take. And by the way, shout out to all the Herbert haters who said he couldn't be this good. Because he is this good. I don't know why the scouts whiffed on him. I think a lot of people weren't thrilled because of his lack of elite production at Oregon. Um, it's very, very obvious now that it was Marcus Arroyo holding Herbert back. This isn't a fluke. We've seen it for four games. We've seen it for a month. Now the guy is throwing darts in the NFL. And again, it's not fluky. It's not like, remember when Vince young won like rookie of the year or offensive rookie of the year because he was running around so it's not like Herbert's just like running around and making plays it's not like Lamar Jackson and I'm I'm not calling Lamar Jackson fluky I think he's really good but he needs to run around to make plays like Herbert doesn't need to run around to make plays it helps That, that pass to Keenan Allen was unbelievable that touchdown pass to start the game but he's like just like throwing darts from the pocket it's not very often I mean even Kyler Murray I really like Kyler Murray Seems like a real good player. Guy has to run around to make his place. Lamar runs around to make his place. Mahomes, who's on a whole different level from from everyone in the league, (laughs) he even runs around to make his place. Herbert's doing it within the structure of an offense and throwing darts from a pocket. That's incredible, man. Finally, I know we like to do rants on this show. Um, No big Tony rant this week. So I'll go ahead Folks I respect Phillip Rivers. I respect the longevity. And quite frankly, it's getting really hard to like whenever I hear someone criticize Drew Brees, that's been like a big theme of this year in the NFL so far. Like Drew Brees' arm strength isn't good enough. Number one, he hasn't had the best receiver in the world on his team for the last couple games, Michael Thomas. And number two, um, dude, he's gonna be forty three pretty soon. Like at some point, it just gets tough to criticize these guys. I haven't been the biggest Brady supporter over the years, but into his like well into his forties now, I'm just like I know he leads the league in pick sixes. I'm just like not even going to criticize him for that because I'm so impressed by his longevity, like playing this well or at least this competently well into his forties. It's unbelievable by Brady. So that brings me to Philip Rivers. I don't think Philip Rivers was ever a super super highly rated guy never even made a Super Bowl in the what almost 20 years he's played in the league what well, was never like legitimately in conversations for top X quarter top five quarterbacks in the league um but man is he washed the Colts defense led by DeForest Buckner products and Darius Leonard their young stud linebacker. Their defense is so good. And Jonathan Taylor and their stable of running backs are really good. T.Y. Hilton is a upper end receiver in this league. When he has a good quarterback to throw him the ball downfield. Dude, if if, if, if the Colts had Herbert at quarterback. Man, I would love to see how good they would be. Um Rivers is so washed. And by the way, I think for the record, he's been incredibly overrated. Again, I don't know who's really rating him all that high. But if you watch him play, how how many how many passing yards do you think he had in their opener against the Jags that that loss to to the Jags. <laughs> they lost 27-20. He had 363 passing yards. That is All the evidence in the world uh, of how incredibly overrated Rivers is. Every single year, he'll have many games where he'll throw for 360-something yards, 340-something yards, and you'll say, Wow, man, he threw for a ton of yards in that game. And they lose. Perfect example, last year, they play Kansas City, lose 24-17. It's a close game. I mean, the offense only put up 17 points, but that's a close game. 353 yards, one touchdown, four picks. He threw 20 picks last year, and I get that he's that he's aging. I totally get that. Um, and by the way, again, credit to him. He's 38. He's been hanging in this league for a while. I thought Philip Rivers was at his best when he was younger, and and throwing more efficient marks. Um, I'm kind of rambling on here, but the point is, Philip Rivers is an empty stats guy. That is all I will say. And man, if the Colts get a quarterback, I'm almost thinking. I think they're like three and two right now. Let me see here. Game log. Yeah, they're three and two. Man, if they could actually get a real quarterback, they would be really, really good. They probably should have just saved the money. They only signed him to, I think it was like one year, twenty three mil or something this year. That's a lot of money. Um, they should have just played Brissette and tried to to tank for Trevor, or tank for Fields, or tank for Trey Lance. Um, So we'll see, man. We'll see. Um, Respect to the longevity of Phillip Rivers. But the man is washed. The man is absolutely washed. All right, hey, thank you guys for listening to Tony in the Field. Um, And we'll get AP on next week after he's done signing his lease. Definitely got to get his thoughts on on the Lakers title and the LeBron versus MJ discussion. And we will uh, effort a guest as well. So that will be fun. By the way, Oregon football heating up. They're in the heat of preseason camp right now. Game day, November 7th. It's like three weeks away, man. It's like three weeks away. A little over three weeks. So we'll be cranking up some some Oregon Ducks football coverage soon. Hey, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week.